Well, you don't believe in having a big pulpit up here, I can tell you that, right there. And um, half my audience left me right there, so that's another thing too. But uh, hopefully, we will uh, bless the Lord and uh, you'll be blessed as we look at God's Word. I've been asked to speak on the book of Proverbs, and I don't know how much was covered in any previous message on it, but I was assured I had an open field, so we uh, trust that this will be an open field tackle that we will indeed uh, really embrace the truth from God's Word. So let's uh, turn our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, and while you're turning, I would like to mention a few things about the ministry that we're involved with. Uh, One of those uh, items that was mentioned this morning is the prayer card, and uh, we'll leave a number of them, and I think some are already on the back table, but this describes a ministry that we started a number of years ago, almost 20 years ago called Know the Word Ministries, and it's a ministry designed to encourage and strengthen the Lord's people wherever they are. And that uh, ministry comes through uh, literature, through articles and pamphlets and booklets, uh, publication of those, as well as the organization of uh, various uh, inter-assembly events to strengthen New Testament assemblies. Uh, There are conferences, Bible studies, Uh, various special events like trips and tours, all with a spiritual purpose in mind. And if you are interested in getting some of the resources that we have available, not only uh, messages that are recorded from our conferences, like the Bible Conference on the Bay we have up at the Jersey Shore each year, or the Weekend in the Word, which we have in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in the spring, uh, you can find out all those details on these cards by going to the website knowtheword.com, knowtheword.com. And uh, you can look uh, at those things and pray for us. It's a ministry where we encourage prayer. Our our aim, again, is to encourage and strengthen New Testament assemblies just like this uh, assembly right here. And uh, we would appreciate your prayers. Also, to give you an idea of what we're involved with, here's a flyer from the Weekend in the Word. I have a number of these with me. I'm not sure anybody will come up here from here up to Lancaster for a weekend, but you get an idea what uh, we're involved with these uh, with this flyer right here for these conferences. This is Weekend in the Word. Jim Compt from uh, Barrio, Ontario. Barry, Ontario will be with us, Lord willing, and uh, we look forward to hearing uh, Jim's ministry. He's always got excellent ministry to share with God's people. Okay, Proverbs chapter 1 is the portion that we're taking a look at, and uh, this is the book that was written by Solomon. At least he was one of the authors. I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. But beginning at verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, righteousness, and justice, and equity, to give prudence or discretion to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation of the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. And once again, we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word and obedience to it. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about those who are blessed by reading it. But if you read further down, it says, and do the things that are contained therein. So it's important and make sure that we're obedient to God's word. We hear the word, we apply it to our hearts, and then we make sure it's lived out in our lives. That's where God indeed gives the blessing. 
Well, this is the book of Proverbs, and as I mentioned, it was written by Solomon, as we see declared expressly right here in verse 1. Uh, there are a number of sections to the book of Proverbs. Really, if you looked at it and analyzed it, some say eight sections, some would say seven. I prefer the seven. But here in chapter 1, verse 1, it says very clearly that it was written by Solomon. In chapter 10, that's the next major section, uh, we see the same thing declared. It's written by uh, King Solomon, the son of David. But further along in the book, in chapter 22, there's a reference to the words of the wise. And some have deduced from that that there are some people who also had involvement in writing some of the Proverbs. Most of us think of the book of Proverbs as just uh, Solomon reading uh, and writing these uh, Proverbs. As a matter of fact, it says in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he's a writer of 3,000 Proverbs. Well, here in the book of Proverbs, we have 513 of those 3,000. So there are more than uh, a number of Proverbs to over 2,000 that, are, uh, that were written by Solomon or not recorded in this book. But uh, it tells us also in chapter 25 that the men of Hezekiah uh, took those Proverbs that were compiled by Solomon and they put them down. Now, the men of Hezekiah would have been two or three hundred years after Solomon. So this book wasn't written all at one time and uh, wasn't written all by uh, Solomon, even though those were compiled by Solomon and put in the book, compiled rather by the men of Hezekiah and put in there. They were written by Solomon. It's interesting in chapter 30, it talks about a person by the name of uh, Augur. And uh, he's a writer of chapter 30 or Proverbs chapter 30. And then chapter 31, there's a reference to King Lemuel. And we don't know who King Lemuel is. Now, some people have surmised that maybe King Lemuel was indeed King Solomon with another name. But there's no other king in Israel by the name of Lemuel. So there are some people who are also involved in writing the book of Proverbs here. It's not all Solomon, although mostly Solomon was the one who authored these Proverbs. Now, Solomon wasn't the, uh, this was not just the only book that Solomon wrote, Proverbs. He wrote another one. Can anyone name at least one more book? What other book did uh, Solomon write? Okay. Ecclesiastes and another one, Song of Solomon. So you have at least those two. He also wrote Psalm 72 and he wrote 127, Psalm 127. You know that uh, Psalm, uh, unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. That was Solomon who wrote that great Psalm, Psalm 127. And Psalm 72 is a great messianic Psalm. And uh, what a picture uh, Solomon is of Christ. You know, uh, the fact that he had a glorious reign and his peace uh, reign throughout his uh, particular reign. And it was from shore to shore. He had a wide dominion. It's a wonderful picture of the uh, Lord Jesus Christ in his messianic kingdom in the kingdom age. And so we have some wonderful truths here that uh, we're reminded about regarding King Solomon. Uh, there are uh, seven sections, as I mentioned, and all these different authors. It's an interesting book, but it does give us a very clear understanding of how we ought to live life. And that's what it really comes down to. If you notice in the opening verses here, in verses 1 through 6 in particular, we see uh, a number of different reasons for it. They're all set off by the word too. It says uh, that these Proverbs are written in verse 2 to know wisdom and instruction. God has given us his word so that we might know wisdom and instruction. And so that's what we need to do is apply the principles of Scripture to our life situation. That's wisdom. Wisdom is able to see a situation and bring in God's truth into it and apply that situation, those truths to that situation. That's what wisdom is. Now, the world looks at wisdom and they indeed have their own proverbs, don't they? You ever heard the 
Proverbs of Confucius, right, you know, or some wording like a bird in hand is worth two in the bush and those types of things. And I've heard this, you know, behold the turtle who doesn't make any progress unless he sticks his neck out. Uh, you know, that's a type of proverb. That's the wisdom of the world. But what's the difference between that type of proverb, Proverbs of Confucius or some of the wise men of Egypt as uh, history, secular history has? What's the difference between that type of wisdom and the wisdom here in Solomon's Proverbs? That's the question we need to ask. And the answer is that God is brought into the picture. Notice what it says here in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The very epicenter of all knowledge and all wisdom is the Lord. And we can't help but think of that great verse found in Colossians chapter 2 that says, he, In him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you really want to know knowledge, if you want to know great, uh, uh, to have an opportunity to understand situation in a great way, then we need to know Christ as our Savior. He's the epicenter of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, we need to uh, ask for his help and his guidance and his leading. And uh, that's what's going to give us the knowledge that's going to be successful in life. And so, as I mentioned, uh, that's the wisdom right there in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. That's the first thing. The second thing, to perceive the words of understanding. That's to have perception. That's to be perceptive in things and see a situation for what it is. You know, in the very first century, when the word of God was not fully complete, God gave a special gift to the believers, certain believers, to have the gift of uh, discretion or knowledge in that way, to be able to discern truth from error. And the more we read God's word and study it, make it part of our hearts, as you heard the little kids here giving out those great verses, you hide the word of God in our heart so that we might not sin against God. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is to discern truth from error. And have that ability to discern those things. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament, uh, it says that a priest could not be a priest if he had a number of different defects. One of those was a flat nose. Now, it's interesting how it's described, a flat nose. Why would you think that? And yet a flat nose, when you think of nose, we, we often use a phrase, you know, something smells fishy here, right? We hear that phrase. That means something's not right. Something smells fishy. And so the sense of the nose is a sense of discernment. And that's what the uh, spiritual truth is behind that. And so any priest could not have a flat nose and, and minister. They were disqualified from the ministry. They had a number of defects and one of those being the flat nose. I was like preaching on that portion in Second Kings chapter 4 where Elisha was with the sons of the prophets. And at a certain point when we might say Bible study was finished, it was studying at the feet of the master, so to speak. Uh, he sent his servant to go get food for the sons of the prophets. They were your original Bible school students of the day. And uh, one of the servants went out into the field and they gathered a number of gourds and it was a famine in the land. He should have made the connection that with a famine in the land, there's no good food out there. But uh, he didn't seem to make that connection. And so he lacked discernment. Believers need to have discernment. Here's a young uh, servant in the household of Elisha and he went out and didn't have that discernment. And so he gathered all these gores and brought them together, shred them and fed them to the sons of the prophets who immediately got sick. That's a great message, as I often mention, for a covered dish dinner, a potluck supper, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so many times I've given a message after that and made the parallel and uh, people uh, get a little kick out of that. But the idea is that we need to be discerning Christians. We need to not be flat-nosed Christians, but we need to have discernment. And the way to get that is from the Word of God, the knowledge of God's Word. 
And that's what uh, Psalm is bringing out here, that you might perceive the words of understanding and receive the instruction, verse 3, of wisdom, righteousness, and justice and equity. That's maturing in the things of God. And our brother Aaron mentioned in a previous meeting about uh, whether you have tremendous insight and grander, grand thoughts of things or it's just a simple wording that says, uh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We can still appreciate all those things, but God wants to move us on from spiritual infants to uh, toddlers and so forth, right, to teenagers and adolescents, right on to the mature things. And so First John chapter 2 reminds us of that very clearly. I speak unto you, little children, because you have known the Father and your sins are forgiven. That's the basic milk of the, the word, understanding that we have our sins forgiven. But then he takes it up another level on spiritual maturity and says, I speak to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. That's spiritual warfare. In order to be successful in spiritual warfare, you need to know the word of God. And so you need to understand God's word and have it hidden in our hearts. And then the third section of maturity. Again, this is all found in First John chapter 2 is the fathers, the, the ones who have a real deep, rich walk with the Lord. I speak unto you, fathers, because you have known the Father. And in the sense of that, knowing the Father is this rich relationship that we have with years of experience behind. And the application of biblical truth to our daily lives. That's what God wants in our work, in our lives. He wants us to make sure that we're not just leaving these premises right here with a bunch of facts and a bunch of knowledge, even, even Bible verses that we'd be able to speak and go our way and not apply those things to every situation. And I can guarantee you, even within the room, you can apply the word of God. You want to be encouraging one another and helping one another and that type of thing. But when we walk through those doors, you're going to be hit with a situation today, situations today that you can apply the word of God to. And so it's important to have a knowledge of God's word. And so uh, these uh, reasons for writing Proverbs are found for us right here. Look at verse five. It's not just for the young man. I should go back to verse four. The focus here, the prudence, discretion to the simple, to mature them. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. But in verse five, it's not just limited to young people. It's a wise man. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. So there is a progress in the life of the believer. Going from a certain position and growing in the things of God. And we're told in uh, Peter, Second Peter chapter 3, that we should grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace and knowledge, that's important. You know, as I get older now in the Lord, I realize how hard it is in some of the grace aspect of things. You get knowledgeable of the word, but it doesn't mean you're going to be growing in graciousness. And that's a real discipline in the Christian life. As you get older, perhaps you get less patient and uh, your life becomes a little bit more complicated to manage because there's so many different facets to life. And so there's the need to be growing in grace, God's love and mercy and care expressed in you and through you. And then also in the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. There's no end to that knowledge. And that's what Solomon is talking about. And so this is the focus of uh, Solomon's Proverbs right here. The very essence, we might say. And then verse 6, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise, that's a phrase used later on about the teachings of the wise, and their dark sayings, literally the enigmas or the riddles of life. Someone has worded it this way, it's the knotty issues of life. So you're going to come across some knotty issues of life, some 
problems, some situations that are like knots. And how do you untangle those knots? And you won't unless you come to the Word of God and ask for God's wisdom and help. And so that's how we untangle some of the knotty issues that we experience in our walk in this life. And so that's the focus. That's the essence of the book of Proverbs right here. Now, there are uh, other aspects to this book. Again, it's an overview, so I'm not going to go verse by verse through the whole book, 31 chapters. But let me encourage you and let me challenge you along these lines. 31 chapters, right? Many of us, especially the older saints here would know this. Oftentimes it was par for the course that you would read one chapter. It was for me one chapter a day, 31 days of the month in the calendar uh, on the calendar. You read one chapter of Proverbs each day. So day one of the calendar, Proverbs one, day two, Proverbs two, right on through. And you go back over that every month. You do the Proverbs, you get through that and it sinks in. And it's like what the word of God tells us in John chapter 15. Christ said, now are you clean through the word which I've uh, spoken unto you. The cleansing effect of God's word in our lives as we have it pour over us. There's two ways to wash your hands. If I came up here and I had dirty hands and uh, I needed to get them clean, I can go in the men's room right there, this new elaborate men's room over there, and uh, take a soap dispenser and wash my hands and rub it real hard and my hands will be clean. That's one way to get my hands clean. Another way is I could go to the faucet or the spigot without any soap at all and just put my hands under the faucet. In the course of time, my hands will be clean. That's really what the Word of God does in the life of the believer. Pouring and letting the Word of God pour over us in daily devotions, through the preaching from the platform, continually in contact with the Word of God. It has a cleansing effect in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And I remember very clearly, uh, before I was a Christian, I was being exposed to the gospel, coming into an assembly just like this, not yet, had not yet trusted Christ as Savior. And coming and hearing the Word of God over and over again. I remember in high school, we had a little journal that we had to write, a number of pages. And I remember one day writing in my journal that people don't like to come to God because they're afraid of uh, what they think God would see. And even though I wasn't a believer, I was basically, in effect, paraphrasing John chapter 3. They don't come to light lest their deeds would be reproved. That's the end of John chapter 3. And I didn't realize I wasn't a Christian. I went back after I became a Christian and came across that journal and realized that God was working through the ministry of the Word in my heart before I was even a believer. And that's the value and the power of the Word of God. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the Word of God. And that's the living Word of God. And that's why this book is alive and it's effective and effectual in the life of people. So you hear the word of God and it should change your heart and your lives. And it's doing that. And I know this assembly here has experienced that as well. Well, how did Solomon get to this point? Now, we said he wrote three books, right? And then two of those Psalms. Uh, he wrote the book of, of Song of Solomon. Some have conjectured that that was Solomon writing a book early on in his life. He's talking about his bride. And so that could have been a book that he wrote early in his life. And then Proverbs here makes a reference, as you notice in chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 3, verse 1, he wrote a reference to my son. My son, if you will receive my words and lay up my commandments with thee. And chapter 3, verse 1, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. He wrote this in middle life because he had children already. 
And then Ecclesiastes, some have conjectured that he wrote that after he had all his harsh experiences. He went through some tough experiences as well, especially toward the end of his life. Some really, really tough experiences. And perhaps reflected on those experiences and wrote Ecclesiastes that, you know, all is vanity, that sort of thing. He had wealth. He had money. He had women. He had everything. All right? And he's writing basically say, don't go after those things, people. The book of Ecclesiastes says, young man... You do what's in your heart. You live this way and that way without any restriction. Just know this one thing, that God will bring you into judgment. That's a sobering word in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. He does say, you know, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. He says that, but at the end he says, oh, you young man, you just live any way you want. You're going to be brought into judgment. So he has something to say. Solomon has something to say to us. The book of Proverbs has something to say to us. Now, how did he get to this point? Well, uh, you can keep your finger in Proverbs, but just go with me for a moment to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Go back just a ways in the Old Testament and find 1 Kings chapter 3. When he came into his kingdom, David was passing, uh, going to be passing into the presence of the Lord, and Solomon was now going to be king. So he is in this position. There are a lot of people that could have been in that position, but Solomon was the one that was selected of the Lord. And so it says in verse 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David. Here he is, a young man, tender, impressionable in his heart. And it says he walking in the statues of David, his father, only he sacrificed and burned incense in a high place. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was great high place. And a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. And Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. He's just starting out. He's still got stuff in his life, but he wants to make things right. And he says, ask what I shall give thee, God said. And Solomon said, that was showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, here it is. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out and come in. He realizes his vulnerabilities. And so in verse 8, and he says, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people. He's overwhelmed with the burden of this leadership he's going to be thrust into. He says, thy people whom thou hast chosen are great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy great people? Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing, has not asked for thyself long life, neither has, has asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thy enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to thy words, and lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so there is none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. That's what God said to Solomon. Solomon's looking out. He had everything at his disposal, within his reach. He could have said, well, I want as much as I can get out of life. That's what this world goes after, doesn't it? They want money. They want riches. They want fame. They want popularity. They want everything. They want it now. Solomon says, I don't want those things. I want an understanding heart. Give me discernment. 
Give me the ability to get through life. Right heart. Is that where your heart is? It should be. Here's the example for Solomon. And God heard that prayer. And he said, I'm going to give you those things. And everything else will fall in behind it. You can't help but think of that verse in Matthew chapter 6, right? You know where I'm going with this, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Does it mean that you're guaranteed automatically two Cadillacs in your garage and a diamond ring on every finger? I saw a guy, you know, he had and he had them on there, you know, every ring on every finger, including a thumb. I couldn't believe that. But he was thinking, well, this is the epitome of life. To have a full bank account in our day, stock accounts and all the rest, and fame and fortune, globe trotting around the globe. That's the epitome of life, God says. And Solomon later on would say, that's vanity. The greatest thing that you could ever have is a sense of the presence of the Lord and a closeness with the Lord and walking in fellowship with Him. And I'll tell you, you don't have to have a penny in the bank account and you'll be the happiest Fulfilled person there'll ever be when you know you're walking with the Lord in the center of his will. Guaranteed. As a matter of fact, if you look with me for a moment uh, in chapter four, look what it says in verse 32. It says he spoke three thousand proverbs and his songs were a thousand and five. Now, Song of Solomon, if you look at that as one song, he wrote a thousand and four other ones. Uh, maybe similar or not. I'm not sure, but who knows? But thirty two Chapter 4, verse 32 talks about that. Back up the page a little bit to verse 25. When you're walking with the Lord in the light of his word, what a blessing he shines on our way, right? In verse 25, Judah and Israel dwelt safely, and every man his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. There was peace and prosperity. And you go back further up the, the chapter in verse 20. Judah and Israel were many, and as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and making merry or rejoicing. And that wasn't uh, some sort of party atmosphere. That was a sense of satisfaction and peace and joy. Now, I realize this is the Old Testament dispensation. I know all that. But the point of the matter is this. When you're in the center of God's will and you're serving him, you'll get the sense of joy in your heart. And that's a wonderful heritage and inheritance that's part of every believer's spiritual benefit package. When I was a young Christian, I had on the back of my car uh, a bumper sticker that said, the retirement benefits of a Christian are out of this world. I think I might have mentioned that even last year when I was here. Retirement benefits of the Christian are out of this world. They are. But you know, there's a whole lot of benefits now. Closeness to the Lord and all the rest. Mark chapter 10 tells us that, verses 29, right after that, talks about you'll have this, that, and you have brothers and sisters and family. There's family here. Sense of closeness with one another, help, prayer, support, all the rest. That's all part of the Christian life as well. And so Solomon talks about these things and the, and the example that we see here of Solomon. This is how he got to it. Now, let's go back to uh, oh no, before we do that, let's go over to first Kings chapter 10. Let's see what happens just a couple of chapters later. What happens with Solomon? Because not only do we have this, the essence here of the teaching of Solomon in Proverbs, but we have the example of Solomon. And Solomon, uh, as he asked God for wisdom and help, God took him and used him in a very mighty way. And chapter 10 is a tremendous passage. I love to preach on chapter 10. We don't have time to do that. But just follow with me. I'll give you a real quick synopsis of chapter 10. This is what happened. The fame went out far and wide about this great King Solomon, not because of his riches as much as his wisdom. 
And so it says in verse 1, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him or test him with hard questions. The word had gotten out about this tremendous king. And this queen of Sheba, a distance away, what, some 900 miles away across the wilderness, heard about that report. It's a wonderful picture of us speaking about our king. Remember what Psalm 45 says? I speak of the things as touching the king. My heart is a pen of a ready writer. Uh, We ought to be ready to speak about our glorious king as well. And that's what people were talking about in regard to Solomon. And so that caught the attention of the queen of Sheba. And so she said, I'm going to check out who this king is. Now, she's a queen and she was rich. And she made this long, arduous journey across the wilderness to go investigate for herself. And so in verse 1 and 2 is the investigation of the queen of Sheba. And she came to test him with hard questions because he had such wisdom and knowledge. That's why he wrote the Proverbs. And verse 2, it says, She came to Jerusalem with a very great, great retinue or train with camels that bore spices and very much gold. She was rich and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed or talked with him of all that was in her heart. She poured out her heart before him. She had questions. The queen of Sheba, that tells us <clears throat> that money can't solve the problems of life. She had all these questions to ask him, hard questions to prove him, to test indeed if he was the, the, the wise man that people spoke about. And notice what it says here in verse 3. Solomon answered all her questions. There was not anything hidden from the king which he could not, did not tell her. What a picture of Christ that is. You have problems in life. You have issues in life. Come to Christ. And he'll help you out. And he'll give you the perspective of life that you need. Maybe some of the issues or problems that you may not have solved right now in your life, you will afterwards when you're in glory with Christ. It's a wonderful truth that we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He answers the tough questions. That's how I came to know the Lord when I was 17 years of age. There was that sense of emptiness. I wasn't, it wasn't a crisis period in my life. I wasn't strung out in drugs and alcohol or anything like that. But I could sense the emptiness in my heart. That when someone exposed me to the gospel, it was like a piece of fruit ready to be plucked off the branch. I mean, I was ready. didn't have to take too much. Some people have to take a running leap to jump into uh, eternal life, let's say, because of all how far off they've gone. But for me, it was just this little baby step almost, just stepping over the line saying, yes, Lord, I want to trust you as my Savior. And so this woman had all these questions. And so... It says in verse 4, when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he built. So the wisdom is the person. The house is the work because the house is his palace, which he had built. And notice this in verse 5. This is, by the way, her observation. There was her investigation, then her interrogation. And then this is her observation. She noticed his wisdom and his, his person and his work. And notice this, whenever you see in the Bible a list like this, take note, sit up and pay attention because it says in verse 5, the food of his table, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, their dress and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. There is no more spirit in her. She scanned his kingdom and she says, wait a minute, this is a different type of kingdom than what I'm used to. He says, I'm noticing the diligence of his servants. The servants are diligent to wait on this king that they love. He wasn't like the other kings of the world that would kill people to get his way and that sort of thing. These servants love their king. And they saw the diligence that they attended to in their work. 
And they saw how well they were dressed, their apparel. Notice that verse. He said, hey, wait a second. This is a different type of kingdom. This is a kingdom that shares all its possesses with its loved co-heirs is what we sing in a hymn book. The same idea is that this was a king who shared his wealth with his kingdom. What a picture of Christ that is, isn't it? The Lord Jesus sharing his spiritual wealth with us. We who he was poor, but he was made. We are made rich for Christ's sake because of what his, he's done. He was made poor that we might, through his poverty might be made rich. So this is all spiritual. We're not talking about the diamond ring on every finger or anything. We're not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual riches in Christ. Given to us because we belong to him. And uh, the picture that we see here of Solomon with his uh, subjects. And so the food of his table, great food that was provided, the meat on his table, the bounty that was provided. Well, we have a bounty too, and we're looking right at it. You have it on your laps, and I'm reading from it. That's the word of God, the food of God's people, the provision of God's people. And then the attendance of his ministers, their diligence, their apparel, his cupbearers who enjoyed a closeness to him, and his ascent. Now, what does that mean? Either it was the ramp that led up to the place of sacrifice, or it was the way that he approached the place of sacrifice, his ascent, his walking up to the place of sacrifice. Hard to tell what that word means. But the point is, she was so enamored, so taken up with this person and the work of this glorious king. She, she said there was no more, the scripture said no more breath in her. She was taken up with it. This is because this King Solomon said, Lord, give me an understanding heart, largeness of heart, an understanding heart. Help me to see these things. God answered that prayer and God blessed them all the way. That's what can happen for you too. I'm, again, I'm not talking about the rings. I'm talking about the, in your heart, in the sense of God's presence in your life when you trust the Savior. And so look what it says here in verse 6. She said to the king, it was a true report that I heard my own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. It's true. Howbeit, I believe not the words until I came. And mine eyes have seen it. And behold, a half was not told me. The wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame of which I heard it. Now, I, I'm just visiting in this area. I don't know the visitors here at all. But I hope as you walked in, whoever you may be, where you were here last week. And so this is the second week you're here. You know, So you're not here the first time, but second week or whatever. That you are seeing a difference with this company of people versus the people out in the world in some Elks Club or Moose Club or whatever uh, fraternal organizations there might be. You see a difference in God's people. That they love their king and they're devoted to him and they want to please him. And there's a difference here. That's what made the difference in my life when I became a Christian. I came into this youth group situation. I was invited. It was kicking and fighting all the way. Because I felt like my mother had trapped me and she arranged for, you know, me to meet people from this youth group. And I was really angry at her. I was 16, 16 and a half. And I was really angry, but I went along. Something made my lips go, sure, I'll go. <laughs> and so I went to this youth group gathering and I saw this group of teens who are very nice and kind and friendly to me. And said, hey, Mark, would you like to have some refreshments? Hey, let's play charades, you know, youth group uh, game. Uh, go ahead, Mark, you do it. And I was like, I had never been treated so nice. The friends I had, or they were, you know, my group of friends, you know, kick one another when you get the opportunity and make yourself look better than the other person. That's sort of, that was the group of people I hung around with. And they were good people. And so that's the difference. And so that's what the Queen of Sheba saw. And she says, notice this in verse 8. 
Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants who stand continually before thee. In other words, they weren't killed. Who hear thy wisdom. <clears throat> Blessed be the Lord thy God who delights in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever and therefore made thee king to execute justice and righteousness. <clears throat> she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. I'm reading verse 10. And there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. The navy, he talks about the, she talks about the navy here. Or it's talked about with her. Verse 12, the king made of the almug tree pillars for the house of the Lord. And verse 13, the king Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. She went back home more enriched than she did when she got there. And I hope if you're a visitor here, or if you've been here before for many times, you're just back here on a casual Sunday, whatever, that you go back home more enriched than when you came. That you understand you're in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who is here in, in spirit. And as the Lord Jesus made a reference to in Matthew chapter 12, to the Pharisees and those people that were there in the Lord's day who didn't have any interest in him. They could barely, in a sense, cross the street because of uh, to examine the claims. Here was the contrast of the Queen of Sheba called the Queen of the South in Matthew chapter 12. What did the Lord Jesus say in regard to that? The Queen of the South. Let me read you those, these words very clearly. This is what he said. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And that's the case for us as well. A greater than Solomon is here with a greater glory, a greater person, a greater work, establishing the church, all these wonderful truths. This is the man who wrote the book of Proverbs and these other books. Now, there is a stern warning because we've looked at all these things, the wonderful exhortations. I could take you into that, but we don't have time or time is gone. But there's a warning. The end of Solomon's life is a warning. Let's uh, just take a look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Despite all these wonderful things in Solomon's life, it says that in verse 1 of chapter 11, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to the daughter of Pharaoh, women, Moabites, and all the rest. And they took his heart away from the Lord. Look at this, verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David, his father. Even this great Solomon, this is the warning, even the great Solomon who knew these things, still if you don't embrace and hold to the truth and hold it close to you. You can be influenced by the world as well. You can have the Bible verses memorized. You can know the theme of every book of the 66 books of the Bible. But unless you say, Lord, I need to close, uh, live close to you, you can also be influenced by the world. So there's a warning here in Solomon's life. And so you have the book of Proverbs given to us. And we looked at First Kings a lot in First Kings. But the reminder to us of the book of Proverbs is where you get the wisdom that you need to live life. 
And if you're here this morning, you have not come to the very source of wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, I would implore you, I would beg you, beseech you that you trust him as your savior. He's the greatest king. In a future day, he'll be seen as to be king of kings and lord of lords. And his dominion, as uh, Zechariah 14 tells us, will be from sea to sea, just like Solomon's was in his day. And he'll reign as a glorious king, the Messiah, the one that the Bible speaks about. Have you trusted him as your savior today? I hope so. Have you been playing fast and loose with God's word? I hope not. I hope that uh, the reminder here from Solomon's life the beginning of his life, the middle of his life, the end of his life speaks to you as well. We trust it does. That you'll trust the Lord Jesus if you've not done that yet. And that you commit your life to him to live holy for him in this day in which we live. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you again for your precious word that doesn't speak, indeed speak to the issues of the heart. Even as Solomon said, guard the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And so, Father, help us indeed to guard our hearts, to put uh, the uh, fence around it so that uh, our hearts are soft and that they're tender and gracious and that we indeed want to uh, learn more of you and grow deeper in our walk with you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be those that are pleasing to our Savior and that we might help others uh, to find him as well, that we might speak well of the King like the words that came to the Queen of Sheba, so that others are interested in hearing more about this wonderful king who we love and serve. We thank you again for your grace and goodness. We thank you for this fellowship here, and we pray your blessing as we depart. And we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.